It is said that everyone has a price and the price of my salvation, the price of your forgiveness was bought by the Redeemer and his name was Jesus. Redemption means that he purchased your forgiveness with his life. And today is the day that we get to unashamedly celebrate that redemption. If you have your Bibles with you, your copies of God's word, please turn to the book of Luke. We have been journeying as a church through the book of Luke. We have actually been working through this gospel to the cross. And now we look towards the empty tomb today. Luke chapter 23. The gospel of Luke 23. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Some of you might know it by Easter. Some of you might know it as Pasch or the Paschal service. You say, well, what is that? Wait till the end of service. We'll answer those questions. Today, we're gonna look at the death of Jesus Christ. We're gonna look at the burial of Jesus Christ. And then we will end with this question, the same question that was asked 2,000 years ago. Why do you look for the living among the dead. So what are you looking for today? Because we all look for something, do we not? What are we looking for? Some estimates say that there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Think about that. 2.2 billion Christians. And if that is an accurate estimate, that means there are 2.2 billion people around the world worshiping the Savior this morning. What a wonderful thought. And my heart is that we add to that number this morning. That if you are here and you say, I don't, I believe about Jesus, but I don't know if I trust in him yet. I pray that God will move your heart in a way that you will respond to the gospel, that you will look at the empty tomb and you say, Lord, I need you. If this story of Easter is an old, old story to you, I pray today that you will be restored and renewed, that today, as the Bible says, that he will restore to you the joy of his salvation. Because many of you have heard the Easter story for many, many years. What, What can be said again about this story? But yet we know that God refreshes our hearts with his salvation. If today this story is new to you, I pray that you will believe it, I pray that you will trust in it. And I pray today that the story of the resurrection will today be your story. That you can tell the world that we believe in a savior who is raised from the dead. He is no longer in the tomb. He was, but he is not today. Thank God he is not today. So let's read Luke 23 and then we will begin looking at God's word together. Luke 23, beginning in verse 44. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and what do we do about this? What are you looking for? Luke 23, 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly, surely this was a righteous man. Let's pray. Father, we stand here today. We sit and sing your praises, not because of the strength of our voices or the strength of anything that we have within us. But we are here today to worship our Father because our Father sent his only Son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I thank you that you did not send your Son into the world to condemn the world, but that we might be saved through him. Lord, I thank you that we can say today that he is risen, he is risen indeed. Lord, stir our hearts. Let us know the the deepness of our sin. Lord, let us know the price that was paid for us. The redemption of our souls, through the cross, to the tomb, through the resurrection. Lord, may we be changed because this day is the day that changed the course of history. Lord, change our hearts. May we believe, may we trust, and may we glorify the risen Savior today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are going to back up here and I just wanna walk with you through the crucifixion. How did Jesus get to this point in Luke 23? How did Jesus get to the point that he was on the cross between two criminals? And if you were here last week with us that one criminal looked at Jesus Christ, the word Jesus means he will save the people from their sins. How can one criminal look at Jesus and say, if your name means what it says, save yourself. And yet the other criminal look at Jesus and say, we are guilty, but you are innocent. Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, I'll do that better. I won't remember you, but today you will be with me in paradise. How did we get to that point? How did we get to the point where we need the resurrection? Well, let's walk through the crucifixion. The the ending chapters of Matthew lay this out, and so I'm going to walk through this, and we are going to see that Jesus of Nazareth was in fact killed. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He did not die for his own sake because he was innocent. We do not believe in the substitutionary theory that it wasn't Jesus that died, but someone that looked like Jesus. The Bible is very clear that it was Jesus Christ himself that died. The Bible is very clear that he actually did not, he was not murdered, he was not killed, but Jesus Christ gave up his spirit for us. 
I do not believe in the swoon theory that says, well, Jesus didn't die. He was just in a weakened state. And when he was so weak that the soldiers thought he was dead and they pulled him off the cross and they put him in the tomb and miraculously there was a miracle, but it wasn't that he died and rose again. He just, God gave him the strength. No, the Bible is very clear. And this is important for us because you can't have the resurrection without the death that Jesus clearly died on the cross. So how did we get to that point? Several nights before the crucifixion, the religious folk, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the scribes, they hated the message of the Messiah, which is religion will not save you. So you need a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Religious people don't like to hear that their religion will not save them. And that was the same 2,000 years ago. That's the same way today. How do I know that? Because I was that person. And so they concocted a plan to have fake witnesses testify against Jesus that he was blaspheming against God. Here's the struggle with that though. They were too hasty in getting their liars together. So as liars often do, the liars couldn't get their lies straight. So let me just kind of warn you, if you're a liar, look, the less you lie, the less you have to remember. And the lie they were saying is, well, Jesus says he is the son of God. They didn't realize that wasn't a lie, that was truth. He is God. And they bring Jesus before the high priest and the high priest looks at him and one of his guards strikes Jesus Christ across the face. And they, the high priest rends his garments. He tears it and says, blasphemy, what more do we need? Let's kill him. Here's the struggle and the problem with that. They had no jurisdiction to kill him. So being wise, they say, well, let's find someone who can kill him. So they bring Jesus to the one that who can, the Roman guards, a man named Pilate who was in that jurisdiction. Pilate brings Christ before this council and during this process, they blindfold Jesus. They say, you are the prophets. Well, let's test you. They blindfold him and they begin to slap him across the face repeatedly saying this, if you are a prophet, prophesy. Who hits you? If you've ever been hit in the face, you realize how difficult and how stinging that is. We have a three-year-old at home and we wrestle a lot. Sometimes we wrestle when we shouldn't wrestle. Mom would tell you that. But there are times where he's overzealous and hits me in the face. And I can't tell you sometimes just the, the, the pain that being hit in the face, being hit in the nose or the lip causes. And can you imagine being slapped repeatedly? This is after Jesus was probably already dehydrated from the night before. The guards sensing opportunity and knowing that Jesus Christ called himself the king of the Jews said, well, let's, let's have some fun with this. And so the guards said, well, if he's king, let's find a royal robe. And they stripped him and they put this beautiful robe on him. And they gave him a nice reed as his staff. They fixed upon his head a beautiful crown of thorns. 
not blackberry thorns as we're used to in the South, but these large thorns from this tree and they pressed it upon his head. You are king, we will delight in that. Matthew tells us that actually Jesus was then scourged. Now the process of scourging was usually not associated with the crucifixion because scourging in itself could kill a person. Jewish law said that you could only be hit 40 times minus one because they believed that 40 lashes would kill a man. So we would have 39 lashes and they would hit the person, they would strip them and they would hit them with a flagellum that was a small whip with with thick leather straps. And at the end of those straps, they would have some type of metal or lead or iron ball so that as the straps would, would hit your back, the metal would then slash you over and over and over again. And there are two men involved in this process for the Romans. Now do not forget that the Romans were trained interrogators. This is waterboarding to the nth degree. They were professional killers. They are professional mercenaries. And so one man would be the man that had the whip. The other man was just there to to look at the criminal, at the prisoner, and that when that prisoner was near death, he would say, stop. And so they struck Jesus over and over and over again till he was near death. Pilate's hope was that he could almost kill Jesus and bring Jesus out and say, look, he is innocent. He did not deserve this, but I did this anyway. Leave him alone. And yet the crowd cried, crucify him, crucify him. We do not like the message that he is God, crucify him not knowing that the one they killed would bring them life. After this lengthy process of Jesus was worn and battered and beaten, they then put the the cross beam upon his shoulders. It was about 650 yards to the place that they call the skull, Golgotha. And yet the centurion in charge noticed that Jesus was not carrying it fast enough. And so they found a man in North, of North African descent and made him carry this cross beam of the cross to the place of the crucifixion because Jesus physically could not do it. Dehydrated, beaten, wounded. And when they brought him to the place of crucifixion, they, the Romans would nail the prisoner's feet together through the arches of their feet. Then they would take the cross beam and nail the cross beam to the cross. They would take the arms of the prisoner and nail them through their wrist, through your major nerves. They would put you on the cross, not necessarily to die from the pain, but to watch that person die because they could not breathe. Because to get breath, you had to pull yourself up. If your arms were too tired and too painful, you pushed with your legs. And when your legs were too tired and painful, you pushed with your arms. And when your body was giving out, you just died. And yet at the end of this, Christ said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He did not say the Romans have killed me, have vengeance on them. He did not say for the scribes have mercies on their soul. He said, Lord, into your hands, I commit 
my spirit because I have to die for them. Lord, forgive them. We do not know what we do. Jesus Christ died, not for his own sake. He died for you. He died for me. But he didn't just die for us. The Bible says he was actually then buried. So let's look at the burial of Jesus Christ. Verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member. He was a good man and just, and he had not consented to their decision and deed. He is from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, he wrapped it in linen. He laid it in a tomb that was shewn out of the rock where no one had ever been laid before. That was the day of preparation and the Sabbath drew near, Saturday. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. They observed the tomb and how the body was laid. We see this in the death and the burial. When Jesus died, two phenomenon happens. One, it was dark. Now, why was it dark? It wasn't dark time, it was about noon. And not only was it dark, as we back up here in verse 44, that the sun was darkened. Why was it dark? Why was it dark when Jesus was died and buried? It was because the father was showing his displeasure at the events taking place. The father was saying that this is not what should have happened because this man, Jesus Christ, is innocent. And while it was dark, this curtain that was in the temple, this huge curtain that kept people from getting too close to God, lest they be struck down in his wrath, this curtain was torn in two. Now, why was the curtain torn when it was dark? If God was showing his displeasure to the world for the crucifixion, what was God saying about religion? It cannot fix the brokenness in our lives. The curtain was torn in two because you and I cannot fix our relationships through any religion. It will not happen. It cannot happen. God showed us this. And not only was a a curtain torn in two for God to show his displeasure, but what was the, the function of this curtain to keep people out of the presence of God? God was telling us because of the death, because of the resurrection, there no longer is a boundary between us and the presence of God. Even if you tried, you couldn't make it to heaven. But God said, I'll send my son from heaven to come to earth that you might be in the presence of God because he died, he died for you. And he was buried for us. Why? The burial just reminds us of the historical nature of the death. Why do we bury people? I mean, let's, let's kind of walk through this. It's, it's not necessarily rocket scientists. Thank goodness, because I'm not a rocket scientist. Why do we bury people? I have conducted many funerals in my life. 
And I had never expect, as we're near the gravesite, as we're reading scripture, I never really had the expectation in my heart, this person is gonna jump out of the grave. Because if that ever happens, the associate pastor is gonna be there doing that graveside service, right? <laughs> Sorry, Brad. So we bury people with the expectation that they stay in the grave. And everything here in the scriptures to this point, everyone is expecting Jesus Christ to do what? Stay in the tomb. Look at verse 50. There was a man named Joseph. He was just and good. He did not consent to the horrific deed. And so he went to Pilate and asked for the body. So he takes Jesus down according to the, the law in Deuteronomy that a, a body could not be hanging after sunset. So he pulls the body down. They didn't have time to prepare the body, which is why the women were there the next day to bring spices to prepare it in the right way. So they bring the body to the tomb that's never been used because they expect this man to stay in the tomb. He was crucified for your sake. He rose again for our sake. But that is not the end of the story. As we are accustomed to in a TV world, but wait, there's more and it is glorious and it is wonderful. So let's look at verse one of chapter 24 together. Now on the first day of the week, what day is it today? Which is the first day of the week. This morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Now, again, why are they going to a tomb to prepare spices? Because they expect when they get to the tomb to be a body. When you go to the graveside, what do you expect? There to be dead people. That's why we go to graveyards. He said, well, why are you emphasizing this? Wait. So we go to the graves to see the dead. Verse two, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That is an odd situation. Because in, in this time they would build the grave size, the, the tombs into the rock. They were actually not these huge edifices. They were they were small caves, and so you'd have to stoop down. And if you've ever been to seen the garden tomb in Jerusalem, I would say that the opening is only about a yard, three feet high. So you have to stoop down into this hole to get into the grave. And there would be a large rock that would be in some type of channel, and you would roll the rock into place and cover the grave. So if you're coming to the grave to see a dead body and the stone is rolled away, that's not a good start to your day. There's several reasons this is difficult. One, did someone take the body? Did someone steal the body? Now, Matthew tells us 
that that could not have happened because they were two trained Roman guards on either side that stood there and their lives depended on that stone staying in place. And from every indication, they were not believers. So these are not men that would just desert their post in order to die for something that they probably did not believe in. And so they go, these women go to the tomb looking for something. So we see that Jesus died for us. He was buried for us. So what are you looking for? What are you looking for? 2,000 years ago, they were looking for a dead guy. We are, are all looking for something. That's why you're here today, isn't it? That's why I'm here today. But I just want to kind of take a moment just to ask and press in on that question. Why are you here? Some of you are here because this is Easter Sunday and it's tradition. And this is what you do. Because if your mom or grandmother found out you weren't in, on, in church on Easter Sunday, you would be in the grave. If, if your grandmother's like mine, right? So you just kind of, you're here. I mean, it's just automatic. That's what we, we do. That's why we're here. Some of you might be here today because you've had a family member or a neighbor or a coworker. They've been pestering you about going to worship for years. And you finally said, look, leave me alone. I'll go once. And Easter's not a bad day to go. Some of you are here because you are just broken, you are beaten, and you are worn out by the life that is before you. Your relationships are torn apart. Your body is failing you. you you're walking through cancer or there have been deaths or you, can't, you don't have the money to pay any of your bills. And you just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but Lord, I'm just gonna go to Easter service and maybe something will change. By the way, it did. Some of you are here because you trust in Jesus Christ and this is your spiritual Super Bowl. If you're like me, I just woke up. I woke up at 5.30, the alarm hit at 5.30. Instead of hitting snooze, I turned that thing off. I popped out of bed and I said, let's go. If there's any day, I'm just gonna wake up and it's a great day and my spirit is overflowing. It is today. But here, here's the beauty of the gospel for us. Every single person, whether you just stumbled in here by accident or whether you were dragged in here or whether you walked in here whistling and singing, we are here because God is pursuing you. Pastor, how do you know that? Because he died for you. You said, well, I betrayed him. He died for his betrayers. So why are you here? And the second question I wanna ask is this, so what now are you looking for? You say, well, pastor, call me out. He must have, someone tipped him off. He knew that I hadn't been here before. No one tipped me off. But what are we looking for? Because we all look for something. 2,000 years ago, these ladies were going to the grave looking for the dead Christ. And, and we have a tradition, most of us, that we, we do on Easter, around Easter, where we just teach our kids to look. We brought our son and daughter to an Easter egg hunt last night that was glow in the dark. It was dark. And so, you know, you have these kids, you just release the hounds. 
And it's like this swarm. Last week at, at here, our service, we, we dropped 6,000 Easter eggs. Some of them dropped in the field. Some of them we just dropped on the kids. Um, and, and we sort of teach our kids, hey, look for something. And what you look for, you will find. And whether we know it or not, there's a lot of truth in that because even as adults, that's what God's word shows us. Now, if we're only looking for Easter eggs, we're looking for the wrong thing because we need to look deeper and look at our hearts and look to the cross and go to the tomb. And when we do, we say, "Uh uh-oh, this stone is rolled away. So what are you looking for today? Because no matter what you're looking for, everything that you look for in your life, everything that I look for is found and finds fulfillment in the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything that we look for finds fulfillment in the cross. You say, you say, well, pastor, I don't understand it all. How can someone die for me? Because pastor, you don't know me like I know me. And I would say, well, you don't know me like I know me. Because if you knew me like I knew me and God knows me, how could he die for me? And yet he did. Yet he did. And may we look to the power of the resurrection. So let's look at the resurrection right now. Verse three, they find the stone rolled away and they went in. And by the way, let me just say, I'm a scaredy cat. If I go to the grave and the stone is rolled away, I'm not going in. Yeah, I'm just not. So uh, women, you are braver than I, that I would ever be. So they found, verse two, the stone rolled away. They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. And before we say, well, I can't believe they didn't understand Jesus. Look, none of us have ever seen someone raised from the dead. So before you point your fingers and say, I can't believe that they didn't believe, we wouldn't either. They were perplexed. And to make things more difficult, verse four, two men stood by them in shining garments. So if an empty tomb is not difficult enough, now we have these angelic messengers show up. You're thinking, this is not good. Where did our savior go? And then one of the most beautiful verses the world has ever known one of the finest pieces of literature that has ever been written and spoken. Verse five, they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth. And just, let me just remind you, they are bowing inside a tomb. The angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And before we say, I can't believe they didn't believe Why do you go to graves? Let's just remind ourselves of that. Why do you go to the graveside? To see dead people. So why were they going to the grave? And so the answer for these angelic messages for us would be, we're going to the empty tomb because Jesus died for us. Verse six, he is 
not here. And if we stop there, we say, well, where did he go? Who took his body? How dare they desecrate and mock our savior again? They've already mocked him in this, this horrific, ugly game of let's play king. He is not risen, comma, though he is not here, comma, he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. What are you looking for? Because everything that you look for, for fulfillment and purpose in life is found in the empty tomb and the resurrection. Easter is the answer for the deepest questions that we will ever have. Well, pastor, is Easter gonna pay my bills? No, but when we pray to our father because of the resurrection, our father, give me my daily bread, our savior responds. Well, pastor, is, is when I'm scared, is Easter gonna answer that question? No, Easter gives us the chance to pray, Father, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you're there. Easter, the resurrection is the answer for every longing of our hearts. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been scared. I've never been hungry. And I'm really not that bad of a person. Oh, but you are. Because our sin is sin against an eternally infinite, holy God. So how do you seek forgiveness from an eternal sin? Because you don't have eternity to ask for forgiveness. So what does the resurrection do? For us, just quickly, the resurrection, because we see, verse 6, he is not here, he has risen, we can have new life. Jesus says, I have given you new life, abundant life, that you might be born again. That is not possible without the resurrection. You cannot have new life without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have new life in the resurrection. In the resurrection, we are justified. Pastor, that's a big word. We are made right before a holy God. I know that my redeemer lives. Why did Jesus die? He died because you and I can't make it right. And because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what that means for us is there, a, there is a permanent curtain between us and God that you can't tear. And Jesus died to make things right. And he showed us that because he tore the curtain from top to bottom. As the song that I love, I, I sang this this morning as I was praying over this sermon. Man of sorrows, lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took the crown of thorn. 
The sin of man and wrath of God has been laid on Jesus Christ that you and I might be justified and made right. Without that, you do not have a right relationship with God. You say, well, pastor, I'm a good person. You're not. Well, that's a horrible lesson. That's a truthful lesson. I'd rather you get mad at me, find repentance and salvation in the cross than leave here happy. And by the way, there is no joy greater than salvation in Jesus Christ. Because you're talking to the chief of sinners who found joy in Christ. He died for our justification. He makes you right in the resurrection. The resurrection shows us that he frees us from death, he frees us from sin, and he frees us from the devil. He frees us from that. Well, how do I know? Because he died and he wasn't guilty and he rose again. Why? Because the grave couldn't contain him. And because God accepted the sacrifice. If he was guilty, Jesus Christ would not have raised from the dead, which is why you and I do not raise to life on our own because we are guilty. But thank God in the resurrection, we have power over our sin. We have power over the grave. We have power over the principalities of this world in the resurrection. The resurrection also reminds us this, that one day you too will be raised to life. Some of you whose bodies are breaking down are saying, thank God. Some of you who are built, like you go to the gym every day, I want this body. You're gonna have a better body that protein can't build. A wonderful body, new life. I'm gonna be seven foot tall and a basketball player. I long for the day. And if God makes me short again, I'm gonna say, God, uh, you know, just give me a voice. I'll sing. I don't need to be tall. But I thank God for the day that I will be raised in new life because of the power of the resurrection. The resurrection also shows us that one day all of creation will be transformed. That because of the resurrection, you and I and this world will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So pastor, what do we do? If Jesus died for me, if he was buried for me, if he was raised to new life for me, then what do I do? And I've been thinking of Acts 16, where this jailer walks in. He's about to commit suicide. He walks in because he thinks his prisoners have left. And there's this old man, Paul, standing in an empty cell. And he asked Paul, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say believe about, think about, be sorry for your sin. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the resurrection. And I have to believe that some of you are like me, that you grew up in church. You grew up in church on Easter. You grew up in church on Christmas and you believe a lot about God. And I wanna remind you that, that Matthew 7 says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will be with him in the kingdom of heaven. 
Well, how, how can the Bible say that? Because many of us have gone to church and we sing songs about my Redeemer lives, but we don't really know what we're singing. We believe about it, but we don't believe in him. And maybe today you need to humble yourself, acknowledge your sin and say for the first time, Lord, I don't understand everything. It's a mystery, but I know you died for me because I'm guilty and I need to believe in the power of your resurrection. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard the story of Easter and you say, it's unbelievable. It is, but it's true. Maybe you need to put your hope and trust in that. Maybe you're here today and you walked in thinking, I'm a pretty good person. I got my suit on, got my hair did. Yeah, I know my Bible verses. When pastor said, turn to Luke, I was the first one there. But yet you don't fully understand and you are unwilling to acknowledge the depths of your sin. Your sin is so deep that it took the son of God dying for you. So pastor, are you telling me if I'm the only one that's ever sinned, he would die for me? Yes, that's what I'm saying. But I'm in that boat too. And here's the beauty of our salvation. Jesus died to make you right. Justification. Jesus died to pay the wrath that you have been building up reconciliation, that every time you sin, the wrath of God has been building up towards you. For God, the world, for God loved this, the world so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes might not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So we are already condemned because the wrath has been building up. He died to pay that wrath. Why was the world dark? Why did the curtain rip? Because the wrath was poured out on the Son of God by the Heavenly Father. The resurrection also, though, reconciles you, redeems you. It brings you forgiveness. You say, well, you don't understand the sins I've done. I don't, I don't need to, but there is no sin that you can commit that was not forgiven if you believe but there's more of the resurrection also, the Bible says. And some of you need to hear this. It adopts us into a new family. That we might have the right to be called sons, daughters of the King. That's why when we pray, we pray our Father. And how, how beautiful is that picture that our salvation adopts us into a new family because some of you grew up without a father or you grew up with a father that really wasn't much of one. And God says, I'm here. And he also died to justify you, to reconcile you, to redeem you, to adopt you. He died to give you new life. That whoever has been born again, the old has passed away and the new has come. So if you have never believed in the crucifixion, if you have never believed in Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you just where you sit. This is a relationship between you and the Lord. He knows your sin. You know your sin. He died for you. Will you make that right? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? The thief on the cross said this, Lord, I'm guilty. You're not. Remember me. And Jesus looked and said, I will, son. 
we say, Lord, I know I've sinned and I know your Savior died for me. Or today I believe in your Son. If you have never done that, I'm gonna ask that you would. You say, well, pastor, I've done all that I believe. I pray today that you will just bow your head and you will say, God, refresh, renew the joy of your salvation. Lord, may the Easter story be fresh again that I may declare your gospel to every person, to every country, because the world is in need of a savior. If you will bow your heads with me.